In this episode, Dean Shaw Italia, CFO at Soldo, talks about the importance of company culture, explains how he builds trust with partners such as the CEO, and illustrates how technology underpins everything that his team does at Soldo. Hi, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook, where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself, and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Before we jump into the interview, we'd like to invite you, our listeners, to head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. We want to learn from you to make the CFO playbook even better. As a thank you, you'll be entered into a draw to win your choice of an iPad, or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We'd love your feedback. So Dean Shaw, I obviously know quite a bit about your background, given that we've worked together now for a number of years. Um, for listeners, it'd be fascinating to hear how you ended up uh, being the, the, the CFO of Soldo and, and what was your journey to, to arriving at this point? So I've been really lucky with my career. So I started off training with a sole practitioner and got exposed to everything from accounts to audit to tax to fundraising, both debt and equity, to the fancy tax efficient schemes that you had, like the EIS and the SEIS. And then I got the opportunity to work for a number of years in KPMG Financial Services auditing banks. So in effect, if you think about it, I got a full spectrum of experience from working across various disciplines and companies of all sizes, from very, very small to very, very large. But in terms of my career, I think the lucky break that I had was in 1999 when I got the opportunity to join eBookers as their fifth employee. And I became CFO, and in those days it was called finance director, very, very early in my career. One one thing that I find fascinating is that many CFOs that we, that we speak to, the not all but many, they were thrown into the role of a, a CFO or they had the opportunity to take it yeah. on earlier than expected, and that was the case with you. But going in as a first time CFO and then growing to a company of that size where you're over a billion in revenue and thousands of employees, was that? I mean, I can only imagine that being like an immensely challenging experience. So it was challenging, but because you're running at 100 miles an hour, you don't have time to think. You just don't have time to think, what's going to happen? Am I doing something wrong? Am I not? It's just at such a, such a fast pace. Because if you think about it, what we were trying to do is replicate what was happening in the US. So the US was probably 12 to 18 months ahead of us. We were trying to replicate what happened in the US. So it was all about first mover advantage. It was all about customer acquisition, and also, to some extent, supply chain acquisition, because we were trying to get the fares and and the best rates for hotels, best rates for cars. And it was so fast-paced, because I remember doing about 16 acquisitions in 12 months just to buy these offline travel agencies that had amazing content to just take them on and bring them into a, a sort of online business. Another sort of interesting sort of big moment, I would say, I don't know if it's a lesson or not, but 
was when we had this offer from Yahoo and AOL at that time, fairly unknown, but you know what they became, to become their sort of white label partner. And now it obviously, with hindsight, it's an amazing idea, of course, and you would jump at it, but at that time they were fairly unknown. But the the cost of that would have been 40% of our entire fundraise. And of course, as CFO, you say, oh my God, that's just too high risk. And as CEO, you'll say, you don't have the vision. <laughs> you need to take funds like this because otherwise you're never going to grow. Eventually we did it. But the lesson there was as a CFO, my job is to lay out the risks of what a project like this would entail. And as long as everybody understands the risks and is still willing to take that step and take that risk, then as a management team, we just have to back it 100% and just make it work because you've decided as a team, you're going to do it. And so that was a big, big sort of lesson that you're not always going to agree with decisions that are made, but as long as you do it in a sort of fully educated way and you understand all the risks and rewards, it's, it's, you just go by it and you eventually get the reward for it. So I understand why the the CFO and, and you had to play that role of laying out the risks. That's that's part of your responsibility and leadership team. But does that then mean that, that the CFO should often be the most conservative and potentially least visionary in, in the executive team because of that, that remit? No, I, I don't agree with that. I believe the CFO's job is to lay out the risks that are there mm-hmm. and to lay out the benefits and the costs and all that in a very clear and articulate way. It doesn't mean laying out the risks and deciding whether to go and approach it is a different matter. So you may believe that that is a high risk or a low risk, that's an opinion, but it is a risk that you are actually laying out and you're informing everybody about it. And then strategically you need to decide. And, and a lot of decisions that you make come from experience what's happened in the past. My next role was CFO and CEO of Cobra Bear, where I was there for nearly 10 years. And we built it to a household name in the UK and eventually it became a joint venture with Molson Coles. And and, then you look at Cobra, it was all about innovation. It was all about doing things differently, doing things better, and as a result, changing that marketplace forever, as we would say. And, and, And whether it's innovating various working capital solutions that we had in place because I was a strong believer that every asset on your balance sheet can generate working capital, even rent deposits, for example. If you have it, why not create working capital out of it? And we actually, one of the things I'm most proud of is we created a trade finance working capital product for a bank that we worked with so that we could use it. It's quite unheard of in to be able to actually create a product that suits you and then convince the bank that it's a win for them and a win for us. And on that creating your own product, I guess that's an aspect of what you and and your team are doing today is because you're helping us at Soldo because we we create products for for finance teams. Yeah. And, and so that is an ethos that is almost even though it started at Cobra, it's something that you've continued and brought into Soldo here and, and embedded in the team. Yes, so so as, as a CFO, I've always loved to be involved in all areas of the business, anything tech-related, anything product-related, anything marketing-related, 
you always have an input. You always think you're creative. By the way, I always think I'm creative. <laughs> My CEO may say I'm not, but I always believe it. But Soldo is a little unusual because Soldo, of course, is the product that's sold to finance teams and the CFO in the first instant, even though it's used across the entire organization. It is initially for a finance team in a CFO suite. So for me, it's amazing because for the first time, I'm actually actively involved and my team is actively involved in the product itself. And, and that is really exciting to be, and it's great for my team as well, because they are there, they are not only giving recommendations for product improvements, they're testing out new features that come up, new products that come out. We are the ones first using it making sure we can use it in the best and the most appropriate way, making sure we are the best users of our product, which is the most important. So that then when it goes to the customer, the customer knows that it's a product they can use because we've used it in, a, in, the, in Soldo itself and it works and, it, and it, it does what it's supposed to do. Does that then mean that you have to look for a slightly different profile in your team than you would typically because it's hard to have any conversation with any leader in, in a scale-up environment without them talking about the struggle of retaining their best people and hiring the best people in the market because it is such a competitive marketplace right now and that's against the backdrop of many of the roles and the nature finance roles there are some that are very specialist and still similar but there are new demands that are needed across finance teams. And it sounds like you're talking about one of those in trying to shape product feedback and, and give that type of uh, product direction. Does that change the profile that you're looking for as you try and hire and build out the team? No, I don't think the product itself will change the profile of people that we are hiring. And the reason I say this is because the functionality within the finance team, whether it's FPNA, whether it's procurement, whether it's uh, fraud and payments, whatever the various functionalities, that remains more or less the same. What we are trying to do is become more efficient. What we are trying to do is become more automated. We're trying to provide more analysis of data, trying to go to a more real-time access of data. So the product is just a tool to enable us to do that. And so my hiring doesn't change because I have a Soldo product that I'm using. What we're trying to create within the organization is a mindset, a mindset to adopt change, adopt new technology, adopt uh, uh, new finance tools or whatever it is to better the way we can report. Cobra was one of those areas where I probably had my most lessons that I learned. So one, one of the important ones was the importance of working capital. You know, matching the right funding with the right requirements. So as you grow, you have various sources of funding that you get in, but matching it is really important. So do you use invoice discounting, for example, to get cash in earlier from customers? What stage of your growth do you use it? Because if you use it invoice discounting when your business is going down, it's a negative impact. Also, a lot of people focus on the PNL, not the cash flow. And actually, that was the first business where it really made me sort of harp on about generally in every business, cash is king. But in a business where you have problems or a crisis, cash gets elevated to emperor or god, as we call it. And, and we saw that in the pandemic as well, because you just suddenly, for every business, 
suddenly growth goes out of the window, cash becomes the most important. And actually, Cobra was one of those because we were growing and we were always needing funding. And so that became a really, really important sort of lesson. And the last one I'll touch on is the reliance on the supply chain. Because we were really going well in Cobra, amazing. We had a fantastic brewer who was brewing for us. And suddenly a competitor came and bought that brewery and gave us three months notice to say, okay, in three months, you're out. <laughs> and so it just, it just was a shock to say, we can't just have one place where we are brewing our beer. We need to have multiple locations. Otherwise, you're stuffed. And so that reliance on one supplier, one main partner is a real dangerous way to go and you should always create options. So on that, the, the last part is really interesting because especially at the moment with so many supply chain issues all across the world and almost every industry. But the, when you first mentioned it, the first thing that came to mind beyond actually where you ended up, which is that there you want multiple partners so you don't have a dependency on one. But the first thing that my mind jumped to is like, maybe you could like vertically integrate. That's another way to approach it. Whereas you say that you want to actually own that part of the value chain was that a lesson or was that a consideration or actually so, is that just not practical in that environment so interesting in cobra it wasn't because the cobra business was all about building a brand and building a premium price point and eventually getting sold to a brewery and what we very intentionally did was made sure our distribution brewing and everything was actually totally outsourced because then you totally fit into a brewery when you actually sold to them. In Soldo, it's another matter where we are totally vertically integrated. We try less to rely on third-party services or whatever the case may be, whether it's payments and our, our payment rails, whether it's our platform, whether it's our technology. Unusually, we own the entire tech stack. And I say unusually is because I'm comparing it to my peers within the same market. That means that actually we have much better control over things like this and over things like redundancy and relying on a particular supplier. We're less likely to be impacted by that because we own our own and we're vertically integrated all through the chain. And do you think that the part of the reason for those decisions are more led by a strategy or is it perhaps the vision of the founder? Because I, th I know that you, when you worked with Lord Blamoria in, in Cobra, he was obviously someone who could be an evangelist, a brand builder, an incredible spokesperson. Similarly for us, it's Aldo Carlos, it's someone who's a product leader, an engineer at heart, and so by nature, an, an architect. So do you think that those decisions are led by strategy or vision? Um, I think it's quite a lot led by the founder. And I say that because when I came into Soldo first, it was a very unusual structure to see us so vertically integrated because for a startup business to invest so much in technology and product and there's so much depth in the product as well is quite unusual because you have to really invest a lot of money in that to build that robust payment rails or robust platform that you have in place. So obviously, Carlo, being successful in the past, have been he's been very successful in building uh, businesses to scale and being very successful in that. He he obviously knew the importance of investing upfront in the technology and in the platform, so that you have no problems when you scale 
and you have all the redundancies that you need going forward and, 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 and the product is very robust to start with. So it is unusual, but if you have the ability to do that, then that's the best way to do it. And, and obviously Carlo had. So we will benefit from that as we grow going forward. And I'm sure that for you as a CFO, it, it means that in the way that you like oversee and, and, and provide stewardship for the company finances and how they and how the company invests, they're fundamentally different models in a way. If you're like at Cobra aiming to build a brand much more marketing orientated versus the situation, of course, that Soldo has and the model, which is like very vertically integrated. So are there big differences practically as a CFO and how you plan for long term? within those different environments? Yes and no, because fundamentally you're doing similar things. Okay, if Cobra was a B2C business, we are a B2B business. But fundamentally what's driving the business is growth. What's driving the business is still customer acquisition. What's driving the business is still customer retention, still providing them with a product that they can keep coming back to, still providing them with a product which keeps changing and keeps, okay, in, Co- in Cobra's case, it was new products that we started to build, new beers, flavored beers, low calorie beers, zero rated beers. In Soldo's example, you give more and more opportunity to your customer to use the product for different use cases, whether it's for marketing, whether it's for TNE, like which was a general use case, whether it's for subscriptions, so there's so many use cases that you could use the product for. So the fundamentals are still exactly the same. The overhead base may be different because some you're outsourcing, some you're doing in, in, internally. But like I said, fundamentally, I would say it's the same. And then my most recent experience was with Labara Mobile, where I was group CFO. And there I had my large team of 125 people covering all sorts of different verticals within finance. And that was quite interesting because we were embarking on a digital transformation from being a sort of mobile company with millions of customers and then trying to build a VoIP uh, product, which was like WhatsApp, a Netflix type product for multiple languages, a transferwise type product for payments, and then a digital bank as well. So we were trying to do like everything. Eventually, the digital bank we didn't do, but it was a very, very interesting time. And unusually, it was a business that was owned by the founders, even though it was a billions of dollars in turnover, and a single decision maker. And it was really, really interesting to work for that particular business. Very successful, very profitable. I mean, when we did all this, we had one philosophy. That is, if you fail, just fail fast and just move on because we're going to try multiple things. Make sure you define success. And if you're not achieving it, just close it down. Shut it, move on. So in that environment, obviously very high-paced, similar to like your first experiences as a CFO with eBookers. And I'm sure actually all of them were high-paced, like Soldo as well. But the in, in that environment, it sounds almost like liberating to be able to make decisions that quickly. So you, you see it so so smoothly. Like it's like, oh, it's easy. We'll just shut that product down. But often when you've got these projects that you've invested a significant amount of money, a lot of people's time, people are often committed to it. There might even be expectation from, even if in this case, it's a singular leader. So what enabled 
you and that team to make those decisions as quick as you did? Because it's often one of the hardest things that companies struggle with. So, so it's all about defining what success looks like upfront. If you can define your success factors upfront and you say, okay, we're going to achieve this by this time, we're going to achieve this by this time, and you know that if you don't, this is a no-go area, it's quite black and white. And there's no debate. Like I said, our founder makes the decision, he sets the criteria, we all agree to it, and the decision is done. There's no debate. <laughs> so you, you make decisions very quickly, you know the decision is final, and you move on. And you try not to get presumably emotionally invested in things if, if it's so black and white. Yeah, and, and what we found is generally the because we were we were lucky, we were doing multiple products at the same time. So one didn't work, just move the team to another product. It wasn't like you, it would be more difficult if you had to then get rid of them or close down the division or, or something like that. You, you, would just, you would just have the flexibility to move people on to the next project. So obviously after Libara, you joined Soldo and, and like completing that picture, you've covered so many different industries and different types of companies. And I know you've worked with many different types of founders or CEOs. Was there a common thread about when you're exploring a new opportunity or discussing a new opportunity of things that you'd look for in order to justify it being the right move for you? So the common thread was one, they had to be fast growing businesses because there's nothing like working for a fast growing business. The excitement, the challenges and all that it actually throws on you. The second is, I think I've been attracted to entrepreneurial businesses, so founder-led businesses. And, and, and generally, when I've eventually chosen which role to take, it's been after meeting the founder and, and, and looking at the vision and seeing whether we complement each other and whether we can work together. And, and, and that's been the decision-making process. I've never looked at industry as such. Uh, it's just ebookers came purely by chance because uh, of my relationship I had with the founder in my first role when I was um, training as a sole practitioner. Cobra Beer came because, again, with the sole practitioner, Cobra Beer was one of the customers that we were dealing with. So there's a link over there. And then once Cobra became a joint venture, I then actually went out actively looking for a new role. And then Blue Water Bio came up based on, again, meeting the founder and the person having an amazing vision, and I got sold into the vision. And then Levara came out because the one of the people that I was working with in Blue Water Bio had moved on to work with the founder in Levara, and she said she encouraged the founder in Levara and me to meet over a coffee and we met and everything just clicked. So he just literally said, why don't you join me as CFO? It wasn't like I was looking or anything like that. It just happened. It's interesting because you, you touch on two, two themes that are recurring. One is that the network that you build, and again, this is almost a cliche, but it just it's so obvious that the network you build even from your very earliest opportunity has led to many, many of your uh, your positions later on in your career. And the second is the the importance of the relationship between CEO and CFO in all of these companies. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, that is the pivotal relationship. How, how do you, in particular, how do you view and approach that relationship with the CEO? 
So that is a really interesting question because it is what you say. It is a relationship to start with. But if I were to define it in one word, it would be trust. And you have to initially build it, right? So when you first meet a CFO, it's a rapport, and you buy into the vision of the CEO, and you buy into what you think he can do with the company. So your initial decision-making is, can I get on with this person? Yes. Is he going to help build this company to what he says? Do I believe in what he says? And do I believe his vision to where he's going to take it or she's going to take it? And then it's about trust. Once you have that trust, everything falls into place in my view. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's really, really important. I think personality helps as well. The fact that I have no ego and um, I don't get phased easily. So if a CEO wants to vent, he can vent. It's not going to affect me at all. Uh, I always believe we need to be able to vent at each other because in most cases, there's no, you can't vent at others because uh, you, you have to vent at someone. So you, you need your CEO to vent at you or you can vent at uh, him or her. And then being able to communicate when things are going well and not going well to each other, because we never get 360 degree feedback generally. So if we can, if I can be open enough to give him critical feedback and he can or she can be open enough to give me critical feedback, that also helps. Then the other factors are to try and make use of each other's time in the best possible way, because to me, time is the single biggest scarce resource in what we do. Uh, and try and sort of understand each other's strengths so we use each other for what those strengths are. And I think that sort of makes it much easier to work with. I mean, I can give you an example. In the recent fundraising process, the CEO trusted me entirely on the deal process. So I would bring him all the relevant elements at the right time, whether it's a commercial decision, whether it's a tricky clause in the legal agreements, even when as a shareholder, he needs to take his own legal advice. So he would trust that I would bring it to him and say, these are the things you need to look at and make a decision on with me. The rest, you don't have to worry about. That's been looked at and I'm handling it. So that's the sort of trust that you really need. So I can go and get on and do my work. He's confident that he has looked at all the important points, made a decision on all the important points. Um, and then I think this should also be always an opportunity to brainstorm and about the strategic direction of the company and keep enough time for that. Um, the trust to deal with sensitive matters because they're always sensitive matters within the organization. And it's just constant communication, understanding each other's strengths. But I'll say it again, the trust is the most important. And of course, as you said, that's something that you have to build over time. So you're probably looking for the ways, because not everyone builds trust at the same speed or through the same mechanisms. So you're probably looking for signs and how to read the best way to build trust when you when you start a new role as well. Yes, 100%. And some of it comes from the references that he or she may take of you. If they've spoken to entrepreneurs that I've worked with, they may get a lot of that already. Saying, so they get the feedback from people 
third party people so maybe they go in with a much more open mind and give the trust before you have to earn it that sometimes helps because you have to take the first step to trust someone only if you then break it then you go back but the fact that you've taken so much time to hire me as a CFO you've done all your research there has to be an initial element of trust when you start and i think fortunate i've been fortunate i've got that with everybody thinking about that and then going to the team of course that you so again you gave that example of being entrusted with the the full like overseeing the full deal process for our recent fundraising now you then want to be able to and and i can see in the way that you lead the the not just the finance team but the way you lead any team and within soldo is that trust is a big part of trust and accountability are two things that you that come through in the way that you lead teams is that something that you consciously do and and what are the, the 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 techniques that you use when you're managing your team and you're trying to then distill that trust down to them so that you can obviously leverage all of their skills and their abilities in the things that you have to do so i would say that it comes to mindset and culture everything that you do it's about how you set up the culture within your teams or within your organization so you want self starters you want people to take responsibility you want people to accept continuous change so it starts with the recruitment process you're looking for people with the right attitude you're looking for people who will have the right will take on responsibility not shy away from it people who worked in fast growing environments because it's not for everybody so you do all that from the beginning so once the person is in you know you've recruited the type of person that you've recruited then it's about creating the culture that everybody operates in and a lot of culture is driven by the leader itself so what you do is really important how you operate is really important you set the examples you set the benchmarks you show that it's okay to do something wrong as long as you don't do it again you know all those sort of things you create and 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 a lot of it is creating structure so people know what is expected of them they know what good looks like what bad looks like so they can it's trying to create as transparent a way to evaluate somebody's work and performance and what's expected of them if you have those structures in place then people know what is expected of them they know what they need to deliver we don't have time to micromanage everybody in a fast growing environment it just we need self starters we need people who do that and if your structure is set up in such a way you'll immediately know people who are not doing what they're supposed to do and people who are doing what they're supposed to do it just comes out and if people aren't doing what they're supposed to do at that time you intervene and say listen you should have done this or you should have been everything is transparent you have to give constructive feedback they always say praise in a group give constructive feedback individually but still do give constructive feedback because people are here to learn people are here to improve people are here to develop their careers so that's the only way so i i strongly believe it's a cultural thing more than anything else and within that answer you also touch back to that the, the statement you made around time and around time being the one of the most important resources scarce resources of course Um, because you, you, there's no fundraising rounds that gives you extra time per se. 
And so one of the things that is often explored, and you've touched on this, of course, already, but is the the things that you're doing to try and create more time, more space for your team to to partner more effectively, to to look at uh, insights that are real time, to provide feedback to the business, direct strategy and so forth. Those are themes we hear time and time again. And one of the things that that is saving time and many finance teams and GNA teams are investing in, of course, is different forms of technology. So how do you view that, that use of an investment in technology when it comes to trying to liberate your team and, and give them more time to be more effective in their jobs? So I'll answer that in two parts. Um, the first part is just a general thought on technology and if you want to call it finance transformation, whatever you want to call it, there's so many words for it. I think the technology and the approach to finance transformation is a mindset and a cultural thing. I'll repeat this. It's, it's, it's the willingness to change, the willingness to continuously adopt new tools, the willingness to adopt automation. It's basically driven by the inherent desire to keep improving and the inherent desire to become more efficient. That's what drives everything. And I think, in my view, there are three things that drive finance transformation. So the first is this on-demand concept. You know, we live in an on-demand economy. In our personal lives, we expect everything to happen immediately. So in business, I think we are moving more and more toward this on-demand need as well. The second is the vast amount of and availability of data. And how you deal with this, how you interpret data, how you capture it, how you tag it, um, how you visualize it, how you present it so you can enable value-added decision-making. And obviously this data has to be available real-time. And then the third one that's driving is the drive for efficiency. And the drive for efficiency is all about automation and removing these error-prone tasks that you have and manual tasks that you have. So for me today, technology is allowing us to automate more, to get access to real-time information, to analyze vast amounts of data, and therefore allowing us to be more value-added and providing insight-driven reporting. And, and a lot of people ask me about finance transformation. And I'm actually lucky because the one thing that we do, which is the Soldo platform, is all about finance transformation, right? It's businesses are now demanding more control, more efficiency, instant access to data, want real-time visibility. Today, I see a lot of businesses focus on revenue, right? They tend to invest a lot of technology and tools to analyze their revenues, get real-time access to tracking of revenues. But that doesn't happen when it comes to spend. And, and when I mean spend, I just don't mean travel and entertainment expenses. I mean all spend. 
all costs in the business, whether it's cost of sales, whether it's marketing, whether it's product and tech spend, whether it's GNA spend, whether it's capital expenditure. And most people don't invest enough in controlling that spend. And that is where Soldo comes in. And I just want to take maybe a couple of minutes just to give you a little bit of context on what Soldo is and how, and give you more color of what I'm talking about. So Soldo is an end-to-end -end pay and spend automation platform that liberates businesses from the spending chaos that exists today. So in a nutshell, what we're trying to do is sort of address, I would say four pain points probably is the right way to sort of give you a context of what we do. So the first is a lack of control. So when you look at trying to control spend, it is very difficult because it involves multiple people, multiple departments, uh, multiple locations, and you keep getting surprises of overspend. So one of the things our platform does is it gives the company the tools to control spend at source. The second thing is delegation of payments, because today banks cannot provide granular access to money. Payments are always centralized with a few people controlling the release of payments, always creating a bottleneck. And it's normally the finance team. They're sitting on it. They have these weekly payment runs and they have total inflexibility. And so with Soldo, what the platform does, it allows you to delegate the execution of payments, but in a controlled environment with specific permissions and rules. The third issue people face, and these are mostly finance teams, is they lose days and days chasing receipts, reconciling invoices, copying data into accounting systems. And Soldo being an automated system addresses all these pain points and also integrates with the company's accounting system. And the last one, which I want to touch on, which is the most important, is that spend tracking in today for most businesses happens weeks or months later. And they just have no way of being able to prevent overspend and decision-making. And since we own our entire tech stack, we provide real-time visibility and real-time tracking of spend. So some, I remember somebody asked me and said, okay, how did the, using the platform, has, how has it impacted your business, if that's the right terminology? So, Today in Soldo, we have more control over our spend as we can set budgets, we can set limits, we can allocate funds to departments, projects, and users. We can control access to money across the company and departments and can transfer money in real time, should we want to. We have granular control at a card and wallet level and can assign cards, customize spend rules at department levels, user levels. So We've created role-based permissions, workflows, authorizations, and so it makes it much easier for us to actually authorize and control everything through the platform itself. So that's another area. And obviously the most important, we get real-time visibility of spend. So no surprises, we real-time tracking. For me as a CFO, it's a huge, huge transformation as a company and the way we operate and for the better. 
the time is the thing that I led with because it's the thing that we hear so yeah. often. But for you, and this is something we've spoken about many times, is the real-time visibility of spend is is the is another really key piece about why you would invest in any type of technology because it serves a need that you've never been able to address any other way. It is. And how great is it that you know exactly what you spent in the middle of the month? You can track it. How great is it that you can actually give your marketing person a budget for a week or a day or a month that he can then delegate down to his PR team, he can delegate it down to his online team or whatever the case may be and manage his own budget in the way that he wants and fully controlled. So you reduce the area of fraud as well because of the way maybe you can set up one-time use cards that can only be used once for a particular purchase so the chances of fraud are less. So there's so many elements to it that you don't really see or you don't really hear of, but there's so many things happening in the background. There's so many functionalities that are built into the platform. And you can see, I'm I'm really excited by technology because it makes a huge difference. <laughs> if it didn't, uh, we wouldn't be using it. <laughs> the other thing that comes to mind as well is that that goes back to that growth mindset. You didn't use the, the the phrase growth mindset, but you said along the lines of like having curiosity and a desire to learn that this allows you to lib, free up your team to actually have that curiosity to be able to partner with their the rest of the business and, and to drive that level of efficiency. They, they wouldn't have the space or the time to do so otherwise. Yes. So it's in addition to the Soldo platform itself, we also have what we call an operational excellence team, which works closely with various departments within the organization of how to become more efficient. And one of those departments is the IT department. So how can we automate a lot of the processes that are not being automated by your spend management system, but outside the spend management system? Uh, how can we partner with marketing teams to provide them with the data and insight that they need? Because what tends to happen in organizations is, and I've seen this a lot, you don't have one source of truth. Data, marketing creates their own data, finance creates their own data, somebody else creates it, and it, it, it just creates so much inconsistency. They are talking about some numbers that you don't know of. So partnering with them, making sure that you have one source of data, providing them with the information that they don't have to waste time trying to filter out and understand. We give them and it's, they tell us exactly what they need and we provide them with the information that they need for it so they can make a decision. And then of course, ultimately every business is also about making sure that people are responsible for costs and cost management. So that also involves, yes, your solar platform can do a lot of that. But again, reporting on what their budgets are, how they come up with the budgets in the first place, giving them the inputs that they need. So I'm a strong, strong believer of finance needing to be an enabler rather than in a lot of places it's seem to be a bottleneck or a, a sort of a, a break to everything that happens. We should be the one enabling 
uh, not stopping. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and so, Dean, so as we uh, draw the interview to a close, I often I'd like to ask, and I'd like to ask you the same thing, for anyone that's listening who's an aspiring CFO who would one day like to be uh, in a role and opportunity that, that you're in, what advice would you have for them so that they could be prepared for that role and could be successful in it? It again depends on what type of business they need to be CFOs of or want to be CFOs of because each business is different. Like I said, being a CFO of a fast growing business is not easy. It comes with a lot of people say you need to have a lot of stamina <laughs> to start with. You have to have the right mindset. You have to be able to deal with change. In a fast-growing business, change is a constant because it's just happening on a daily basis. You cannot, I, I use this term, you adapt or you die. It's, it's as simple as that. Uh, so you have to have the mindset that you, you can adapt to change, you, you can accept change. You can work in a fast-growing environment. You and then you and because you work in a fast-growing environment, you just learn. You're continuously learning, continuously getting experience. I remember somebody asked me recently, "What mistakes have you made in the past?" And I just say, "I made no mistakes. I've just had experiences. They're not mistakes. They're experiences. Those experiences may have been good and bad, but you learn from them and you move on." I wouldn't call them mistakes. That word doesn't exist as such. But it's about knowing what you want. And if you want to work for a fast-growing business, it's about getting in there, building the relationships that you need, creating the culture. I think that's so important. People just underestimate how you, the culture piece is so, so important in a business. And then if I were to give somebody advice on some of the key things I have learned that is general, not specific to an individual, but is more general to the CFO function. Um, I would say in no particular order, focus on cash, because like I've always said, in any business, cash is king. We get so obsessed with the PNL, we forget the cash flows and the working capital and the impact of all that. And it, it's really, really important. And, and it becomes so important in a crisis. And you suddenly realize it too late. But if you're doing it in a normal business in a crisis, you'll just be able to handle it more. Unit economics, people don't talk much about it, but it's, again, so important. It helps you then decide when to scale and where to scale. You can, if you have greater unit economics and you're focusing on it, you can invest more. Business partnering, you mentioned this as well, and I keep saying we should be an enabler, not an obstacle. It's very, very important. I've already mentioned it, but I'll mention it again. You can never stand still. You have to adapt. You have to change to survive. You have to change to grow. You've got to change to be successful. That's important. Um, and then the culture piece is driven from leadership. So you set the tone as a leader. You set the example. You create the environment. And 
people will follow what you do if you lead by example. And then the other area is the data piece. I mean, you know this more better than anybody. We are doubling data every year. And the increase in demand for data is just going up and up. So you have to have the right infrastructure, the right analysts, the right tools, the technology to be able to deal with this huge amounts of data. And, it's, and it all comes down to how you interpret, manage, visualize, and present that data so people can then make decisions on it. And then I also have this mantra in my mind that I've always used in all my career, which is constantly create options in whatever you do, because it allows you to compare one, allows you to negotiate. Even in a fundraising process, create options. That's the most important thing, is create as many options as you can, because then you're going to get the best deal, and then you're going to choose the right person. And then the best advice I can give people, and this is being a bit cheeky, is are they using Soldo? And if they aren't, why not? <laughs> And if they are, then what can we do to improve the product? <laughs> sage advice, didn't you? And I think it's always, uh, well, even though it might, might be a little bit cheeky, it's always good to ask for feedback, right? And and, and we'll take that feedback and, and, you know, create an even better product with it. Um, Dean Shaw, thank you so much for joining us today. Some amazing stories, uh, brilliant to hear your your background, your history, and also your view on leadership and how you're helping to steer Soldo and helping to build um, build an incredible finance team here at Soldo. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you and thanks for the interview. One last thing, we want to hear from you, our listeners, to learn how we can make the CFO playbook even better. Head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.